0: Accessing library computer data.
1: Out there, there are no saints. Just people.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a long four years or whatever it's been to get to this point. We covered TNG, we covered TOS. We did all the movies, and now we're moving on to Deep Space Nine, which is what everyone has been clamoring for. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Emissary episode, which is the two-part opener comprising the pilot and the second episodes of Deep Space Nine. In this one, a new crew takes command of a distant space station and makes an astonishing discovery that will change the galaxy. It was directed by David Carson. The story goes to Rick Berman and Michael Piller. Teleplay goes to Michael Pillar. aired back on January 3rd, 1993. We're joined by two special guests for this one. Clay is here, as always. Clay, how are you?
3: I'm good. I'm looking forward to this.
2: And we're joined by another special guest, uh, Zach Hanlon, who is a writer for the AV Club. If you guys have ever Googled reviews for Star Trek episodes, uh, his uh, reviews for the AV Club are going to come up as either the one or two option on Google. Zach, how are you doing?
0: I'm great. I'm excited to talk about this show again. Yeah.
2: When I when I emailed you asking or Twittered you or whatever, I slid into your DMs, as the kids are saying. Um, I said, <laughs> which episode would you want to watch? And you said, well, they're all garbage at the start. So how about just the pilot? So we're we're off to a a good start. You got the episode that you wanted and uh, we'll take well- it
0: from- it, it's it's comparatively gar- like it's less garbage than if you already survived the first season of Star Trek: Next Generation. There's nothing here that's going to kill you. No, so you got that going for you.
3: That's true. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you guys said that now because I was feeling bad about my opinion when I came into this. So it's good. To- <laughs> good to know that uh, the bar is pretty low on everybody's everybody's uh, side here.
2: This is, uh yeah, we're gonna be talking about Emissary. So I'm gonna take an audio, I'm gonna take a break and I'm gonna play an audio clip. And then me, Zach, and Clay are gonna come back and we're gonna break down Emissary. Come. Commander.
1: Commander. Yes, please, come in. Welcome to Bajor. It's been a long time, Captain. We met before. Yes, sir. We met in battle. I was on the Saratoga at Wolf 359. I assume that you have been briefed on the events leading to the Cardassian withdrawal. Yes, sir. I understand they spent the last half century robbing the planet of every valuable resource before abandoning it. They've left the Bajorans without a means of being self-sustaining. The relief efforts we've been coordinating are barely adequate. I have come to know the Bajorans. I'm a strong proponent for their entry into the Federation. Is it going to happen? Not easily. Ruling parties are at each other's throats. Factions that were united against the Cardassians have resumed old conflicts. Sounds like they're not ready. Your job is to do everything short of violating the Prime Directive to make sure that they are. I have been made aware by Starfleet of your objections to this assignment. I, I would have thought that after three years spent at the Utopia Planitia yards that you would be ready for a change. I have a son that I'm raising alone, captain This is not the ideal environment. Unfortunately, as Starfleet officers, we do not always have the luxury to serve in an ideal environment. I realize that, sir, and I'm investigating the possibility of returning to Earth for civilian service. And perhaps Starfleet Command should be considering a replacement for you. That's probably a good idea. I'll look into it. In the meantime, however... In the meantime, I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir.
2: All right, guys. So I'm excited to be starting Deep Space Nine. Uh, Clay, you're here because we you decided that you're going to be doing the Dominion arc. The Dominion are not involved in Emissary, but I thought it was important to get you off on the right foot with the pilot to figure out what's going on. You've never seen Deep Space Nine except for maybe one or two episodes. Um, so I think it'll be interesting
3: for you. Um yeah, all of all of these things that you've said so far sound like Queensryche album titles. So I'm in.
2: <laughs> it's a long way to go. And Zach, you uh, have obviously seen all of them. You've written up uh, write ups about all of them. So what would you think about uh, emissary as a start?
0: Oh uh, well, do you mean now or what? I, I actually went back and reread my review um, just to so was curious uh, what I made of it at the time. Um, I think going in, I was fairly optimistic just because everybody, when I was doing Next Generation, all the people who were really enjoying Star Trek and commenting on the review were like, are you going to do d 9? D- it's the best one. So I was going into this with certain expectations, and I think I'd actually seen this one before, even before I started doing the review coverage. And at the time, I was sort of like, this is interesting. It has potential, but there's definitely some flaws. Watching it again now and knowing where the show goes, there are things that I appreciated more and there are things where I was just sort of like, okay, that's not so great. Um, I, I still, I don't hate it. Um, I actually find it in a lot of ways kind of endearing just because it is sort of rough around the edges and they're sort of figuring it out. And knowing how far the show has to go and what it becomes when it really kind of kicks off, which is probably somewhere around. There are a couple episodes in the first season and in the second season it starts getting into gear with serialization and everything. Um, it, it just, it made me happy to be honest. It, it's definitely a deeply, there's lots of flaws. There's lots of, to dig in there, but it, I also just, I have a tremendous affection for this show and it was really great to revisit that.
2: Clay, what's your uh, kickoff opinion about the, the, the emissary pilot episode?
3: Uh, I'll be honest with you. I had a, I had a tough time getting through this cause this, this felt like a, this felt long. It felt real long. It does feel long. Um, it was, uh, I think it was a bit of a system shock coming back to this after doing the movies because it's so unpolished. And, uh, on top of that, it, it was never remastered. So it still looks, it looks pretty, pretty crummy. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. and it feels, I don't, you know, I was wondering about this cause when we were watching, uh, uh, TNG, they, all of that had been remastered and stuff. um, so I don't know if it's if it's un- if it's unfair to compare the two but this one feels cheaper too even though it's got a, like a bigger set it just something about it just feels cheaper than TNG which I I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> um and uh you know it has I feel like uh y- you know my my thing is always is always uh uh I'm a sucker for for big ideas and, and character things. So it was kind of refreshing to see a Star Trek shows start with an actual character event that um, kind of played into everything else. Because I don't, I feel like they didn't, they didn't do that in TNG, right? No, like absolutely they don't not. Focus, no, yeah. no. Um, and I felt like it kind of came together towards the end, uh, everything post the baseball scene. But <laughs> it was, a, it took a long time to get there, and um, yeah, I don't know if it was entirely satisfying for me.
2: I think that it's. um you have to I think you kind of have to look at it two ways, right? It's as a pilot, it feels a, like as a pilot of television, it feels very dated to me. It's a lot of here, a character walks in, he says, "Hi, I'm Lieutenant So and So. This is my backstory in three sentences," and then they, they walk off. <laughs> my my
3: or the, favorite, or they my, have, where uh, they have the glowing exposition orb that gives you the backstory for you. The, my, the, my literal yeah, favorite sorry, moment yeah, ahead,
0: of a, Oh, sorry, I just I just wanted to get this in real quick. My literal favorite moment of exposition dump. Is when they're getting ready to fly out to the wormhole, or like Akira uh, and the others, and Odo literally says, yeah. "By the way, I I am a complete. Uh, no one knows where I came from. We discovered me <laughs> as a baby, and and so there's like this two like this two minute thing where you're you're just oh God bless, you know that, that character is one of my favorite in the shows, but you literally can feel everything around them just sort of stop, yeah, just so we can get those two lines mm-hmm. out. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, guys, there's got to be a more elegant way to do this than that, but
2: so it feels very piloty to me in that way, like a very dated. Kind mm-hmm. of pilot where they're like, here are all the things, and this is how we're going to do it. I appreciated that it's not like TNG, and that they sort of all the characters are being set up for things later on, and like they are doing, a, like they are introducing them as separate, unique characters. My wife's takeaway was that the the female characters are actually people in the in the pilot of this. Oh one. yeah, mm.
0: it's like 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 one of the things that I am I love about the show is that Kira, especially, is one of the best Star Trek characters ever, and the best, probably the best woman female character I've ever seen on track I mean I haven't seen a later series but she's phenomenal here she's a little bit strident a yeah she's bit. off to a rough start I think yeah, then, but, and, and, yeah but 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 she gets there is a level of nuance there and compassion which is just you you felt like they were trying to get that with Troy and De- Beverly Crusher, but they just couldn't quite and and I just yeah sorry I just yeah those are great characters
2: Well, and the the other way for me to take this is that after you get past the character beat stuff, the second part of the episode, which is mostly Cisco in the wormhole, is, in my opinion, it's really poetic. And it's something that the Deep Space Nine is going to distinguish itself from the other series by the way that it does this. It has this really sort of, it's kind of a beautiful metaphor that I don't want to think about too much because I would overthink it and it would ruin it for me. But the, the whole linear time type thing where your memory is sort of like going back in time for yourself Mm. is a really cool idea. Um, It's a great way to get Cisco storyline involved in here, even though there are a ton of problems with the Cisco character in this one that I want to get into, but those are the two sort of segments of the show that I see at this point. So before we get into that sort of like guidance of how I think we can talk about it, Clay, we've been talking about how we wanted to revisit the Prisoner podcast, right? Um, and oh, do right, a, yes. Do a sort of, uh, since the Prisoner and Star Trek have both always been fans of the Western genre, um, mm. we would do a Western take. And we've sort of been leading to this, right? Deep Space Nine is basically the Western of the Star Trek family. Um, Mm. it has the father and son off to the frontier, right? The, the frontier that no one's ever been to. It has a cast of characters who are being brought together that are trying to settle sort of a new town, which in space is a space station. And Cork
3: is constantly calling Cisco a cocksucker.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you've got, you've got the young hotshot doctor who's out to make a name for himself. You've got Kira, who's basically a native American in this storyline. Um, so what did you, did you, did you notice that? Did you think about that or did you, does it make a lot of sense to see Deep Space Nine as the Western of the Star Trek family?
3: Uh, now that you say that, it makes a lot more sense, but honestly, that didn't even cross my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and to be fair though, I'm glad, uh, because if they had kind of hammered that home more, I don't think I would have responded to it at all. Um but now that you said that, I can kind of yeah I can definitely see that that was that was the intention there um and yeah that's a that's an inter- interesting way to do it um I had a tough time with the characters in the show to be honest with you um i let's start, I let, a, let's start with okay
2: Cisco can you start with Cisco did you have a problem with Cisco mm,
3: not entirely okay i I thought the scene with Cisco and Picard was really great. And I really like the setup for Sisko in, uh, in the anger that he brings with him about uh, his wife dying in, in the uh, uh, the Borg fight and holding uh, uh, spite and some bitterness towards Picard. I, in, in that scene, I, I wrote down, uh, maybe I, maybe they did this, I don't know, and I just didn't see the episode, but I was wondering why they never did an episode like that in, in TNG, where someone who gets killed by Borg's Picard, I mean, Picard's uh, Borg attack, has to... He has to come in, uh, um, come to terms with come come to terms with that. I don't know if they ever did that in the show, but I feel like they missed an opportunity to do that because that that as soon as they did that scene, I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. I I wish they wish they did that more. See, Um, I I
2: think that's a. It might take time for you to, I guess, settle into the Deep Space Nine mentality. Like, I don't know if that's an idea that could have existed in the TNG universe. You know what I mean? Like the the thing that's funny about the Cisco Picard interaction to me is that I remember when this came out and I was younger watching it. And I did not like the show because I didn't like the way that Cisco was talking to Captain Picard. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so yeah. so, so yeah. The, the difference here as an adult, I can really, I really kind of appreciate how differently they're trying to set them up from each other. Mm-hmm. And it's really unique to me to have this character come in and be angry. And I think Patrick Stewart does a better job in all of his scenes here than he does in any of the movies that they did. Really. Um, yeah,
3: he's he's good in this. He's he's really good.
2: His goodbye to O'Brien is more emotional than any goodbye in Nemesis ever. <laughs> so, and that's for just his transport chief. But yeah, I mean, Zach, what did you do? You have any opinions about the the characters at this point, or is there a, a take on it that you had?
0: Well, I mean, my, my original, the rever- first review I ever wrote, my, the first line was that, that uh, uh, kept Benjamin Sisko was an angry man. And I thought that was the, one of the more striking elements of, the, of the, the pilot, is that, like, the original first season of, like, Next Generation, Picard was kind of a grump, but he was always very much the, he wanted to be there. This mm-hmm. was, like, his ideal job, and, and this was the place he could, like, like, you really, the reason that show is watchable at all in the first season is often, to me, because of Patrick Stewart whereas here it's much more of an ensemble show so we have a bunch of different characters revolving around Cisco who holds them together but you already have that start from the very beginning that sense of Cisco as someone who isn't necessarily a a like a company man he's not he's invested in the federation but he's like it, it's kind of a cliche that he's already considering retiring and then changes his mind by the end but i feel like that along with his sort of disgruntlement with Picard while they may not be things that have longer implications like he doesn't he, like this the relationship he has with the card here doesn't ever really come up on the show again it's not really something you can sustain Um but it sets this tone of this is not going to be a show where everyone agrees and everyone is in it for this utopian view of the of the future where we're going around and exploring all these new cool sci-fi um setups this is going to be a situation where we have someone who is struggling to hold all these disparate elements together Um, Like the show can get, the show gets increasingly, um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but the show does get very cynical about, well, not cynical exactly, but it gets very suspicious and very interested in how these various systems work and how governments hold together and how hard it is to maintain um, sort of levels of control when you have people, all these different um, planets and different species and different um, ideas of, of what's right and what's wrong. And I, one of the things I really appreciate about Again, this is p- partly speaking in retrospect. Is how it does set up from the beginning that it's not going to be a get along. Everybody's going to be happy and get along. I I I'm, I don't want to oversell the the disgruntlement because it's not as if Cisco. Like by the end of the episode, you get a clear sense that these people are going to at least be able to work together. And uh, but I just I love that idea of of D Space Nine being willing to dig into character a little more because one of my things while I find I, lo- I do love Next Gen and I do find it a very comfort food show. It also is a kind of show where that everybody just sort of agrees almost all the time. Like yeah. it's always, it's always, it's a very positive, very. We all have the same basic goals here. We are all going to. We're all we. It's very simple. We all live in this one one place, and we're all like, like it. It's they'll you know, like in the D space. I'm not really um, getting lost in sentences here, but D space nine is much more about it. Like you said, it's about that the sort of Western idea, but whereas. Whereas the original Star Trek and, and Next Gen were about exploring the frontier, and, and Next Gen, I think, was about bringing civilization, and, like, the um, Deep Space Nine is, what hap- is about what happens next. Yes. Like after you've actually mm. explored, you, you've started to build cities, and sort of what happens when you start to actually try and build coalitions of all these different warring factions. And I, I'd love, yeah, I, I, I find the stuff with Cisco and Picard interesting because it, it sets the tone, I think. Um, it, it's a different side of Picard than you've seen because this is a character. It's kind of it is a, and it's a bold choice too. Like you say, as a kid, you were upset with the show because of the way it treated Picard. It, that's a bold choice to have this figure who you spent seasons of um, building trust with the audience have this new character come in and go, "I don't like you because you killed my wife." Right. Even if it is, yeah, yeah it, it's like it's a very, it's a very, it's a very tone-setting moment. Yeah, so I, I feel like the episode is not particularly elegant in a lot of ways. And and there's lots of clumsiness and like awkwardness, but I also feel like the seeds are there. And I just <laughs> talked a really long time.
3: <laughs> I I uh just to kind of uh, jump off of that, uh, the I, I think the thing that I that bothered me was I mean I understood the 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 arc of of Cisco in the episode and it, and it made sense to me, but I wish that they had held on to the anger thing longer. Like the resolution that he comes to here, I feel like would have been more satisfying if we had if if this was like later in the season if not maybe like season 2 or something cuz you know you know what i yeah. mean it's it's yeah. like a yeah. it's a i i really liked what they did i really liked that they used this this entity that uh uh doesn't understand linear time to kind of remind him about all the reasons why he he's happy to be alive and to and it's kind of like a long form therapy session for him but i but i was i was so interested by the the idea that he was he was so disgruntled and was so angry that I was kind of hoping that was gonna be the his character arc for a while. But apparently, you know, I mean, I guess well, he can't, I mean, yeah.
0: Cisco's temper never completely goes away. Um, yeah, he's he's much more of a he's never he's always a, he's never like an antihero. Um, eh, it's like a couple episodes maybe, but like he's never you're never supposed to like not be be concerned about his anger. But he's never he's at least a much more passionate and engaged. Star Trek, like he's like they're diff Like the, the it feels much more personal with him. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I do see what I do, I do see what you're saying, and yeah, if if they wanted to actually create an arc about with that, but I I the the sort of that temperament doesn't completely go away. There are lots of very mm. very passionate. Like it's one of the interesting things to watch him and Kira sort of bounce off each other as the season as the show goes on.
2: See Clay, I I sort of I can sort of see your point of view from this one, having never seen this one before, because I do think that. I think that the ideas in it are actually bigger than the execution is because I think the problem yeah. with Cisco in mm. this episode is that he, scene to scene, he bounces back and forth and the anger isn't
3: consistent with that. I him. was just going to say that what like, yeah. the scenes, the scenes he has with Kira, um, I feel like aren't super consistent because like, it, it's almost like they told him, all right, she's going to be the anger one here. So you have to be the happy one. And, right. Like, you know, sure. and, and, and it's, it's not, uh, it, there th- is a lot of bouncing around.
2: I even think it's the, it starts off on the wrong foot where, you know, his wife dies and then it goes f- three years in the future and he's talking to Jake and Jake is the one who doesn't want to go to Deep Space Nine and exactly. Cisco's like, yeah. oh, it'll be a good time. You'll have kids to play with. He should, he, if they want to play that scene that way, it has to be clear that he's putting on a good face for his son and he doesn't yeah. want
3: to go either. Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Cisco versus Picard because I think it's interesting in a sort of like lazy writerly way how opposite cisco is from picard um he's like if you go through it right you have cisco's the family man picard is the eternal bachelor uh cisco is the everyman he plays baseball you know he likes baseball (laughs) picard is the renaissance man who speaks different languages and reads books in his spare time um cisco is willing to befriend his uh, like the underling lieutenants and everything like that, he goes up to them and approaches them. Picard has always been very standoffish with the lower officers. It's it's interesting to me how different they are. In almost a cliche, it's almost like they held up a mirror and like we'll just make an exact opposite character of Picard as this new captain.
0: I mean, mm. uh, to go off that, if you think about it, that that is kind of what they did with um, next gen and the original Trek. Sure, yeah. Um because Picard and Kirk are, are polar opposites. Kirk's the, like the sort of pulp two-fisted hero he can be a negotiator but he's also and like Picard can do that but Picard is much more of an intellectual character and I feel like Sisko is not he's he's not no it's no shorts in the the intellectual department but he is much more of a again it's not he's not a company man he doesn't like Picard is very is as you said he's a bachelor there's a sense of him the federation probably matters to him more than anything else his his place his place as a captain Alma's starship matters more than anything else whereas with Cisco. It, you never really get the sense that he cares more about being a commander than he cares about, you know, his family or about um, the people around him. Like, it's, he's much more of a, I don't, yeah, I, I think it is an interesting contrast and one that becomes much more interesting as the show goes on again, where Cisco becomes more nuanced. Whereas here, a lot of the stuff he says just sort of feels like, well, we need to have a conflict for this first episode, so let's have him mm. talk about quitting Starfleet. Yeah. Which yeah. is is why would you why would, why would you not make that decision before you went to this yeah. outpost in the middle of nowhere which clearly desperately needs some stability in order to get by and your first reaction is i i don't think so and, I, I mean, and they don't,
2: yeah like picard it, P- picard should just be like why the fuck did you interview for this job yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like
3: yeah you're seriously. not going to take what, it what, yeah. when they got yeah. to that point in the scene i actually it actually took me by surprise cuz like i liked that scene and i liked what was going on but when he said that i was like I was like, "What? They—they've made no indication up till this point that he was unhappy with this posting, or or, or even thinking about that." I, yeah, it, yeah. It, in, in like even his anger level, obviously because it is he's in the room with Picard. But his anger level like spikes yeah. in that scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to a point that you never see. Up uh, and again, obviously it's Picard, and he's the one responsible for his wife's death. But like, there's nothing leading up to that that gives you the indication that he's thinking about leaving.
0: And I will say, I will say that Avery Brooks, as an actor, is an, is a sort of actor who who will go in these big swoops of emotional temperament, and it it does work better for the as they get a sense of who Cisco is later on. Like there is one of the one of the jokes for the series is that when he shaves his head, that's when they figure out who Cisco is. Yeah. Um. It, you know, it's like with Riker and the beard, and and it's um. It's 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 definitely them trying to figure out how to write this character, and Brooks just sort of playing it, playing each moment to the hilt, as opposed to sort of like working to try and find a more consistent character. Whereas Picard, Patrick Stewart, is much easier. Um, I don't know if Brooks has the same i same kind of training as Picard. Picard brings sort of a classical theater approach, and Brooks feels much more. I would almost say methody, or much more like raw and yeah, and that yeah. and that can that works when it's when it, the the character is written to support that but yeah in this case it just sort of feels like a lot of the times there are a couple of moments like in those scenes with the the um oh the wormhole aliens whose name i met the prophets name I, prophets thank you god that's really complicated too uh the prophets where he'll just like switch through emotions so fast that you're you're wondering if he's um, unwell. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like he'll, he, he just like ah, ha, 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 laughing and no, I'm angry, laughing. It's like oh, okay. And and once the sh- once the writers figured out how to write for that, it can be immensely powerful. There's stuff later on that, that he does that's just remarkable, just really really fantastic work. But in this episode, because they're trying to still play it with a lot of these sort of expected sci-fi conventions, it, it just he's not there yet. And I feel like that there's a, there's a there's a sort of contrast between the actor and the character and the character isn't really consistent. So yeah, it, it definitely kind of underlines that
2: clay. Yeah. We're, those, Oh, sorry. Well, oh. clay, we're going to be talking about Avery Brooks is acting throughout the series, I think. So, um, but yeah, go ahead with you, go ahead with your point. Well,
3: yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, I didn't know if, if, uh, if that style, um, was consistent because watching him in those moments where he was kind of swinging around and, you know, every now and then he would kind of just turn on a dime. It, it, Said to, having not really seen the show before, it said to me that he was he he himself was not entirely sure how to play this character. It it seemed like it was it was almost like he was doing his best to to remain restrained, but every now and then he just kind of had you know it slipped out and he kind of had a little bit of a burst, you know. My like he wanted to, he wanted to be more animated, but uh, you know he has to play the uptight officer but um my weird I schism don't...
2: with brooks right would be described as he he can do scenes really really well like i think his scene of like i want like i should have died with her on the ship that day or whatever like his, mm-hmm. his scenes of sadness and anger he's very very good at his yeah. scenes of excitement come across as forced and cheesy. Like when he says, when he turns into <laughs> Michael Jackson on the beach, when he's talking to his yes. wife, yeah, um, yeah, that feels that, great? that feels really, really bad. And he he occasionally is forced to do those types of things, and it never really comes across well.
3: I do have another question about about uh, Cisco and his family. Um, having watched many TV shows that start off with a kid, um, how soon? Does his kid no longer be a part of the show? Oh no,
0: Jake is a major part of the show. Yeah, is he? in a, he's, oh, he's wow. in a good the way. Series. The, the, the figured, relationship. I... Sorry, the no, this is the relationship between between Jake and Cisco is one of the su- one of the series' strongest points.
3: Oh, that's fantastic because I was expecting it to be like you know Miami Vice, where it's all about Croc- <laughs> it's all about Crockett and his family until like halfway through the season, and then uh, his family has to move to you know Virginia or something.
2: Yeah, Jake is here throughout the entire run of the series, so uh, um, that's, that's
3: good to hear. That's refreshing.
2: Yeah, and it's actually, it's not a point to talk about now, but I think it actually leads to a few, it's a very good, well-done relationship that also leads to a few storyline problems, but we'll run into that when we get to it. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, this, t- this episode aired right after Chain of Command in TNG Season 6. Chain of Command came out like the week before this episode aired as sort of like a setting the stage for the Cardassian-Bajor relationship. Mm-hmm. Um the reason they're on Bajor is that Kira was supposed to originally be played by Ro Laren, that character from TNG. Oh, I was um, going to
3: ask. I wasn't totally sure if that was the same race, but apparently so, it is.
2: So the the occupation of Bajor is going to be a very important thing. The episode is called Emissary uh, for a reason, because Cisco is the emissary of the prophets, the the Bajorans, and that we learned that. Um, hmm. Bajor is interesting to me in that it's discussing a very dark topic that, the reflection of the people on Bajor and people serving doesn't seem to totally reflect what they've all gone through for 50 years. Uh, Does that make sense?
0: I think it's a hard thing to sell in a show like this, which is essentially escapist entertainment. I mean, not that it's not more nuanced and complex than that, but yeah, I I get what you're saying, but I also think it'd be really, really tough to, to do this. I mean, because essentially this is like, if like the Nazis have been around for 50 years or something horrible like that, it's, it's, it's a very, very the occupation. It's is a dark time, and you get a better sense of that as the show goes on. But I also think it's it's a very would have been a very difficult task to sort of give that as much weight as it might actually have in real life. Yeah,
2: hmm. I mean the what what's interesting about the show, right, is that there's seven main characters. Three of them aren't Starfleet, and three of them have a more Bajoran relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't actually interact with the Cardassians much differently than the Starfleet officers do, which is the kind of the problem. Like Kira, Kira's people have basically been downtrodden and sort of stomped in the ground by the Cardassians for a while, but she doesn't really, outside of the occasional sentence of like, oh, these dirty Cardassians, like O'Brien seems to have a worse opinion of the Cardassians than Kira mm-hmm. does at this point. And it's, it's something that always strikes me as a little bit odd, but I did want to, what do you guys think about the fact that almost half the cast is not Starfleet characters because you have Odo, Kira, and Quark who are the no, main leads. No, I think leads. it's
0: great. I think it's great. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's essential to the series. And I actually never, I think that the heart, the, the biggest problem for me was there's stuff between Dukat and Kira later on that, that I don't think was handled as well as it could have. But I always thought with Kira that I always found it fascinating that they sort of, I don't know, to me, the I always sort of read it as after a while, you just get so used to having these people as as enemies, as a part of your life that that it's that you have to sort of treat them a certain way. Like you, it's really hard to remember. It's easier to forget that this is that these people weren't weren't supposed to be there, and that this was supposed to wasn't this was this horrible invasion. I I felt like that was in a way when it's done well, it can actually be fairly nuanced. Like there's there's some interesting stuff about the trauma later on. Here, because there, it's more just sort of like, hey, it's. They're new Klingons. Remember when we didn't like the Klingons? They're they're kind of like Klingons, <laughs> only they're dicks. Um, and, they're and the and evil it,
2: James Bond villains, as we've said yeah, on the podcast. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it, it it's it does it does sort of you know I could see that sacrificing nuance. I think for me, I I don't remember having huge problems with it as it as it went on. Um, I but I love the fact. I especially love the, like the way it shows uh, the stuff that you learn later on about Odo, and I just love the fact that they we actually have a Ferengi character. Who doesn't suck? <laughs> I mean, Cork. I mean, Cork has his bad moments. There are some terrible <coughs> Ferengi episodes coming up, but Cork is actually a, a pretty solid character, and his relationship with Odo is again one of the, one of the series' great strengths. Yeah, he was
3: definitely uh, more interesting than any Ferengi that was on TNG. You know, oh God, he's basically Listen.
0: Swearingen,
2: right? He's he's sort of a. I mean, he's not on the level of Swerengen, but he's he's the Swerengen yeah. character of this series. He's like
0: a Swerengen wasn't was wasn't actually good at anything, right? Because Cork yes. is, <laughs> is, is kind of terrible at being evil. He's he, he'll like try, but he's just kind of he's he's never going to really succeed. But he's also kind of. He's not, they, they, they find this fine line between making him so he's not so successful that he becomes a monster, but he's also not so pathetic that you, you feel incredibly bad for him or he just comes off as an idiot. So it's, yeah. Mm.
3: Yeah. I had to kind of, um, readjust, I mean, I'm sure this will get easier as I watch it, but I had to kind of readjust my, uh, um, uh, what characters I should. Not let my eyes glaze over while watching in this show, sure, just yeah. because uh, <laughs> the the T the TNG is usually anything anybody who's who's wearing the uh, uh, earth tone non Starfleet uniform is just sort of like well I I don't really want to listen to what this person's saying anymore. Um, but these guys were were pretty good. I I've actually felt like the uh, the Starfleet characters were fairly like the supporting characters were fairly stiff. I didn't really care for many of them, but uh, um. Quark, I liked, and Kira was good, and Odo was pretty interesting. But I mean, I, I didn't really, I didn't really like the Doctor very much, and yeah. uh, the woman that used to be a guy for some reason, Dax. Like, I, I didn't yeah, like her at all.
0: They, they have, they Dax gets a bit better. They struggle with Dax. Bashir is barely is a, kind of a twerp at the beginning, which is unfortunate. Um, he he becomes one of my favorite characters later on. Um, but yeah, he's he barely he's barely he just is kind of a twerp in the first first episode in the first season. Um, but but hey, Cole Meany, you know O'Brien's yeah. great. He's great. Oh, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I,
3: you know, you know, I think what what part of it part of it was is, I mean, I don't know if this is just because I'm so familiar with with the TNG guys, but the the Starfleet characters seem to lack a visual distinctiveness that they usually have. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I no mean, visors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you looked at if you looked at the cast of TNG all lined up, they all look very very different. Um, and these ones, these Starfleet members just, I don't know, they seem kind of blank to me. Um, and, and uh, what Dax, even Dax is like, I did, I didn't even realize she was an alien until a little bit later. Cause I couldn't see the dots on her neck. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it just, it just didn't, they didn't, they didn't, their differences didn't stand out to me as much as it has in the past. And, uh, the fact that they were kind of bland characterizations, at least in this episode, didn't really help that. But I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. it's you know it's a pilot. It's I'm sure these they'll they'll get better. It's also based on the as I
2: mentioned before. It's each character comes in, and says two sentences about themselves, and then they kind of yeah. fade into the background for the rest of the yeah.
3: Um, or you get a weird some sort of weird flashback where you're transplanting like a symbiote worm or <laughs> you, something. Are then. you are
2: you familiar? You didn't watch the Trill episode on TNG with us, so I don't think so. No the the Trill are basically the little worm thing is basically. What the person is, um, they kind of flesh this out in Space Nine. But the the little slug thing lives for a very long time, and it gets transplanted into different hosts over the course of its lifetime. Sure. So
0: that's <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I feel like it's it's um I you get, I get I get more affectionate with those characters as the show goes. But I think they're they're always kind of gonna struggle because the people who have had relationships with Bajor um and have a direct connection to Bajor, than the Bajoran Bajor Pass and the Cardassian occupation. They already have these long, complicated histories with each other and with the space station, and it, you already feel like they're much more connected to the main storyline than, mm. especially in the in the pilot. But Bashir, if you had said that he died in the next episode, you'd have been like, eh, like yeah, like, exactly. like he, his his characterization is literally that he awkwardly hit on Dax. Yeah. Um, yes, and that 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 stays around for a while. But those characters become more interesting. Um, Bashir gets a lot more interesting when he's with his relationships with O'Brien, unexpectedly enough, and with another character mm. who is not introduced in this episode, but who is one of the best characters in the series and in Star Trek as a as a whole. Yeah, Worf. So, no, uh, no, <laughs> Worf. Worf is actually good on this one. Worf is good. That, uh, yeah, that's that's what I, but, I've but, heard that he's very good. But Garrick, Garrick, you'll is comes in in a few episodes. I forget exactly I think he's, when. I think
2: he's the next episode, actually.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And uh. And he's phenomenal. And his relationship with Bashir makes him a Bashir. Because the problem with Bashir is that right now he's just sort of the blank slate character. He's the just the nice kind of keen doctor guy. And that, that can be a hard character to write for. And especially mm-hmm. with when he's surrounded by all of these other far more complicated... I mean, even Sisko, who is in the I am the leading man guy, he has a complicated past. And he's played by Avery Brooks. You know, even even at his worst, it's very hard to forget that Avery Brooks is there. Um and I think I think Alexander Siddig, how do you pronounce his last name? Yeah, Al Siddig? Siddig, I think. Yeah, he's 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 I he's uh I think he's a fine actor. I think he's terrific. Um, and I just think you know I think the pilot doesn't serve him or uh, or Terry Farrell uh particularly well. He didn't last uh, very
2: long on Game of Thrones, though. Unfortunately, for him. He, was on, <laughs> no. he was on Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's the Prince of Dorne, the King of Dorne. The
3: wheelchair-bound no guy. shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yep. I uh, I, I do think this show is is more successful in um establishing the ensemble right away than they have been in the past. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it Mex- seems like. Oh, I was just gonna say. It seems like uh, it seems like like you said they all have an established relationship on on uh, Deep Space Nine that that is pretty clear from when you from the get go, and. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the the Starfleet guys are a little bit bland, but they but they you know it all it all works together in a way that that TNG didn't really. I mean, you could argue that it never really got as good of an ensemble as they seem to have here. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Thing, I
0: mean, the thing about TNG is that when you cast Patrick Stewart in that part, like that performance is, I, ugh, I his Picard is one of the greats. Like that is one of yeah. the the highlights of a just like TV drama in general. Like he is. A phenomenal, and he like the rest of the cast. God, God love them; they try, and they're often very endearing, and I grew to love them all over the run of the show. But none of them are really on the same level as Patrick Stewart. Whereas here, it feels like all the actors, even the ones that aren't quite as, let give a chance to fill it in. At least most, it feels like a more even playing field. Nobody kind of shines so brightly that you're sort of like not interested in finding out about anybody else. Yeah, it's um, much more mm-hmm.
2: of a median than a highs and lows type thing that TNG yeah. is capable of. Yeah, I mean. I guess I wanted to move into the second half of the story, which is really because, you know, Clay, I sound a little bit po- more positive on the episode, I think, than I, it's mostly sort of the excitement of a new series kind of is bleeding through. <laughs> but the the fact that I agree with you that the pilot feels a little bit dated and it drags, but I think that the second half is much better than the first half because I love everything that has to do with the wormhole and the profits and everything like that. Um, mm. For your information, the profits and the wormhole are going to stick around for a very, very long time. Uh, okay. um okay do you did you not care for the wormhole section like the sort of the uh the sort of poetic nature of it or were you uh were you interested in it?
3: you know it wasn't the poetic nature of it that i that I didn't like um you know i i i I'm perfectly fine with that stuff i just i don't know like so the the other thing I have to recalibrate myself for for the show is uh uh the reason that I never watched it at the time was because it uh it when I was younger, TNG, the, my least favorite episodes were the ones that were all about just like diplomacy. And from what I could see, Deep Space Nine just seemed to be all, all, always about diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, this one, it was you know w- when they get into the plot with Cisco and the orbs, and you know this some prophecy about him and then he's in this warm wormhole, wormhole and then they step out into this planet that half of it is the planet from city on the edge of forever and the other half is like the garden of eden and like i just didn't care <laughs> i didn't sure. care but what it was happening because like there was nothing there was no plot that was engaging to me at that point i think i think if cisco's i think if cisco's anger had been a little bit more consistent i would have been more engaged but like it just they just started getting into a a, a fairly uninteresting for me anyway s- mystical sci-fi thing uh, that just didn't grab my attention and, and and once they and you know once he gets sucked into the thing and he was dealing with like you know stupid Q uh, basically yes it it was like it, it having to his explanation of what time was was uh, eventually it paid off but I just it just felt like it took forever to get there it it is very uh,
2: long it's a very long sequence because it's basically like 30 minutes of him in the wormhole I I think I agree with you about the anger thread being more consistent I would have also they don't really ever hammer home what the emissary role is in this and it's he's he seems remarkably unimpressed by the fact that this race of people thinks that he's basically a prophet for them um Mm. and it never comes across he he never questions about like why do you think this or like what am i supposed to do he just kind of goes along with the bajorans who are like oh you are the emissary all this stuff um and so it doesn't really hit home on that level for me in terms of like a narrative thread that goes throughout the episode but i do like the just the direction and everything felt very unique to me for a star trek episode of like the cutting between scenes and like lines of dialogue or cutting between scenes as he's talking over them he's going into different things and the I just really, I really like the metaphor of what they're trying to talk about—that these like ignorant aliens that aren't sure about like what time is are kind of torturing him by making him relive painful memories, and he has to—he's forced to acknowledge that yes, um, you know, we live in the past, and it is our existence, and time is circular. And your sort of weird metaphor for it, and I, I think it's kind of interesting, although. The first time I watched the episode, I didn't really like that scene the more i mm. the more i've rewatched it, the more I appreciate it for what it, how different it is from all the other series at
0: this yeah point. you know it's it's weird actually um like i I went back and reread my original review um for the the pilot and the my major criticism of the episode was this, with the, were those sequences, which surprised me because watching it again, I actually didn't mind them at all and i don't I don't know if it's just because I've seen the rest of the show so While I have problems with how that arc plays out, um, I am impressed with the fact that they don't just toss it away as soon as it gets complicated. They 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 do try to keep coming back to that and have that be a part of the series on some level. Um, I I don't know why that's changed for me, but I actually I enjoyed it a bit more. I found it a little more interesting and and it felt less like I think at the time I just thought well because the problem with a storyline like this is it sort of removes it sort of like becomes less sci fi and more magic. And it's it, it takes that sort of I mean, and that's always been sort of a staple of Star Trek. You've always had the godlike beings who come in and have these powers that nobody can possibly understand. But you know, it's really science fiction because they're really technologically advanced even though they're basically doing magic. Um with, whereas the emissaries, it just sort of felt like the another extension of that and and it felt like them I, I think I guess I guess the fact that they knowing that this isn't something that they just sort of put in for flavor, knowing this is actually a a core part of it, that's like an idea the series will wrestle with over its run, whether or not it does it successfully, entirely successfully, at least it's something that's actually not, it's not something that's just tossed off lightly. Yeah, And I
3: think I was just going to say, knowing that, I I, I mean, I I appreciate it a little bit more because it... it, Did you think
2: this was the end of that storyline sort of?
3: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess that's what I... I guess that's what bothered me about it was that it seemed uh it seemed to only be there to be like a therapy session for Cisco. Oh, that's and interesting. From, yeah. From from where from where I was watching it it seemed like it was taking away the most interesting part of his character that I had come across from, up to that point which you know is only one episode but
0: And the, well the interesting thing about that too is it never occurred to me but when I came to I don't know uh about, about your history with the shows but for me when I came into this I'd never seen a substantially serialized Star Trek show. So I came into this after well, – I knew it was going to be serialized, but I come into that, came into this after watching Next Gen, which mm-hmm. has some light serialization, but mostly not, and the original series, which just doesn't. And so I was more used to those one-off plots of like, oh, these magical aliens come in and show you your problems, and then they drift away. So there was no sense – I guess – I wonder if that was one of the things that that I responded to at the time was the assumption that I, I – because I'd watched Next Gen and because I was so used to seeing these characters sort of blip in and blip out – that I just expected this was going to be a thing that they just sort of tossed off like you said just to sort of yeah. oh let's let's deal let's give him some psychotherapy and then move on as opposed to as opposed to being no there is going to be a through line of mysticism whether you like it or not that's going to go through the whole series
3: yeah I think I think that was it I think it it uh I I think it seemed to me I that's the way that I was thinking about it and it just seemed like oh okay well they're just making this thesis statement about about you know
2: Recovery, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically.
3: Yeah. And you know, his and about what what their job is as as people uh exploring the the stars and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, that's fine with that. But it, you know, I, but knowing knowing now that it's actually it's like the a core basis of the show because I don't even I don't even know if I realized it was serialized right away. I thought that kind of came in a little bit later or something. But
0: yeah there's the first season, yeah, the first season is not as heavily serialized. It gets much more as it goes. So that yeah, the, the first season is much more traditional. But they still, I mean, because it's the same location every time, basically, there is still elements that recur. So you you already start to get a sense of it, and then this realization really kicks in with the Dominion arc and all that stuff.
3: Yeah. I mean, knowing that, I'd be interested to see how I I would look back on it after watching a a substantial amount of it. Although... (laughs) I I do I do have to say it didn't help that the the woman they cast to play his wife was just oh, she's terrible. Awful. She's, she's
0: <laughs> awful. terrible. Yeah. I wish yeah. I
3: wish they had just used Picard as all of those different things so it's like him in a bikini and then him dressed as a little kid and then him playing baseball in like the 1910s or something. I
2: think uh Cisco's ow would have uh, shattered eardrums if you had seen that out there. Yeah, that's the, the Cuz those, whole... the,
3: those... Those scenes, in the in the thing where it's where it's him and Picard, and they're like face to face. That's excellent. Those are great. Yeah, yeah, those that's, are awesome. That's really
2: really terrific. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. So, I don't really. Know. Did you have any? I, I guess we can just sort of give final thoughts about the plot and everything before we move into the uh, sort of final section. But I I think that I like. This is not a great episode. It's maybe not even a very good episode. It's pretty solid in my opinion. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it does a good job at being a pilot more than anything. And just the fact that they added a little bit of poetic license to the end in a way that Farpoint, you know, never had, or like where no man has gone before, is basically just like, let's play dress up and pretend that we're shooting a sci-fi episode. Um, <laughs> this feels this feels like they came at it with a purpose. And mm. in a mm-hmm. lot of ways it, it highlights it's more important to, or impressive to me how this highlights the flaws of TNG's pilot in a lot of ways, where that felt like simply rebooting TOS and sort of setting it 100 years in the future so that everything is new and shiny feels kind of odd to me that that's how they set it off as a series. Maybe not odd because it makes 100% sense, but it's certainly not original in any kind of sense. And this one, just the fact that they went so against the grain and everything is so different from the track that you had, like to the point where I, you know, when I was younger, I didn't like it because I didn't like how these characters were interacting with my favorite characters. Um, and that's kind of important to me, I think. And it's interesting.
3: I, you know, I was just thinking now, another thing I think that turned me off a little bit is that, um, you know, even though the the space station exterior itself is a really cool design and re- pretty iconic um it doesn't have any interior sets that really are visually like iconic to me like yeah when yeah. you think about when you think about t you've got the engine room and the uh even the um the the uh teleporter room and the bridge obviously they're they're very
2: the conference room they're
3: very mm. the conference room they're very like clear pictures in my mind and this one just they had none it didn't really have any of that where it like sets like the the uh the main body of the interior of deep space. Now I know it's supposed to be a shithole when they get there, but it like, it didn't, there was nothing about the design of it or the way they shot it that, that made it very memorable to me. Yeah. So I feel, mm. I, I feel like that was another thing that kind of, uh, kind of,
0: um, um, you know, darkened it for me a little bit. Yeah. yeah I think well, I um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, on the, on the plus side that there's no like five minute sequ- saucer separation sequence that literally just exists <laughs> so they can show off how they can do that. Oh God. It's yeah,
2: really I just, mean, I just I love that scene because Picard is like Riker fucking manually dock the saucer back to the thing. He, he risks thousands of lives just because he wants to have a dick measuring uh, contest with Riker mm-hmm. at the start of it. Cisco's goes a little hey, bit, I little mean, bit that's, better.
3: That's at least consistent because later on he uh, forgoes the uh, prime directive so he can ride a dune buggy down in the <laughs> desert in Nemesis. So <laughs>
2: All oh, the rules are up in the air. God. Uh, all right. <laughs> Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there Um, we're going to take an audio break we're going to play a clip and then we're going to come back and give our final thoughts, ratings, read some patron thoughts and all that stuff so see you soon
1: I never left this ship you exist here I exist here I don't know if you can understand. I see her like this. Every time I close my eyes, in the darkness, in the blink of an eye, I see her like this. None of your past experiences help prepare you for this consequence. And I have never figured out how to live without her. So you choose to exist here. It is not linear. No. It's not linear. (laughs)
2: All right guys, so we're going to wrap this up. We have a new segment on the show. Um we are inviting patrons who support us on Patreon to give a uh, couple thoughts of the episodes that are coming up and I'll read them online or uh, on the podcast for people. It's a good way to get the people involved who listen to the show, uh, get them And we're to...
3: not just going to agree with you cuz you're giving us money.
2: That's right. <laughs> and I'm not going to edit out the bits that you're totally wrong about. I'll read the whole thing. Um so Kyle, um, patreon writes hope i'm not too late to talk about emissary you're not uh, kyle this is just i did set this up late so i appreciate you writing in anyway overall i'd say that the emissary is the best uh, second best first episode of a trek show after broken bow which is the enterprise pilot uh the political and religious themes the show are known for are already present but are handled clumsily in my opinion asmr ear stroking and all that's pretty good uh, Kira is badly written and performed at this early stage, far too openly antagonistic. Avery Brooks' style takes some getting used to, who is ow, is particularly bizarre. Also, <laughs> why are the orbs named after a spherical shape when they look like floaty, sparkly peanuts? Good question. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah that is. Uh, and then Tark writes, uh, just watched The Emissary first time in years. It's aged pretty well in my opinion. Some thoughts. If I were Picard, I would be super pissed that no one bothered to breach me about the whole Wolf 359 thing before Cisco walked <laughs> in the door. says never trusted ale from a god fearing people does he or indeed the writer not know that the finest beer known to man is brewed by trappist monks clay would you agree with that
3: uh i don't know if i would it's not my thing but it's (laughs) definitely it's definitely many people's thing
2: (laughs) he says uh the promenade is too fucking small that's kind of your point there clay about the sets not really sticking with you uh, the entire shtick of DS9 is that it's a space station. So why do they spend ten minutes of the very first episode jumping through hoops to make it turn into a bloody starship? What'd you think about the moving the the space station sequence? To me, it felt like artificial drama.
3: Yeah, I didn't like that. What? I honestly the uh, the whole the whole end thing with the space station and the Cardassians. I really didn't care for. No, I thought it was kind of um, silly
2: too.
3: Yeah, and like I also wasn't entirely. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure what was going on because <laughs> you like, fell asleep from, halfway through when you woke up. Uh, I'm not going to say that I didn't do that, it, but I did go back and rewatch what I missed. Because um, <laughs> the Cardassian ship uh, with uh, what's the name, uh, Dracula, Wh- whoever's on that, the one Vol who gets into, yeah, who who gets in through the uh, the, the wormhole. wormhole. Yep. And then they're they're angry because they can't get to him, and so they have to move the ship to. F- Fight them? I, I I couldn't really follow no, why, uh, they, were, why th- they were fighting each other.
0: They weren't. They didn't. They were actually trying to move this The reason they moved the station was because um, they were trying to claim rights to the wormhole. Yeah. Um. Because that's oh, okay. very which I actually liked. I like the idea of. I mean, I think it is kind of a forced moment. Again, it, I made the joke about the saucer separation. That really is this episode saucer separation yeah, moment. Yes. Um, and they're trying. They also, you know, they force in some. Oh, engineering is going to do crazy stuff because that's what you love about Star Trek. Um. And he does do some crazy stuff, but it, it's uh I I thought that was interesting. The sort of standoff of the Kardashians at least gave you a sense that the Cardassian Kardashians, Cardassian <laughs> uh oh dear. Um
3: That's gonna be happening a lot on this. Yeah, show, it I think. probably
0: is. Yeah. Um uh, we're gonna be a, continue to be a major problem. But yeah, it's it is a bit forced. It, it's a again, yeah, it's a pilot they're trying to do they're, I think they basically were trying to give something to sort of Give a little bit of a- adrenaline into it while cutting b- between yeah. cutting back to Cisco floating around in the netherworld, you know, having his esoteric conversation with uh, with space aliens. Well, Clay, also, it, 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 oh, sorry, I well, was just
3: say also, also it's kind of weird that uh, when Cisco shows up at the end, he's like, hey guys, you know, everything's fine, what's up with you guys? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he shows up as the you've got four ships firing on his friggin' <laughs> station, and he's like, hey, no, everything's fine. He's, I've come to terms with my dead wife, so everything is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, What have you guys been up to? I
2: think that the, um, you know, it it ties into the thing that we've always talked about. Clay, the worst dramatic moments on Star Trek is when someone's counting down and the camera is shaking. You know, it's like, it's (laughs) like, this is not real drama. This is not really anything. This is just us having to kill time for five minutes until we get out of it. Um, Tarek ends it with Cisco's whole, what it means to be human slash linear time slash some of our experiences speech is incredibly well-written and performed all in all a good opening episode that has me excited to revisit the series. I'd agree with that. I think so. Um, I
3: I really did like I re- when they cut to the baseball scene. I was like, oh, fucking! Good. But when he used baseball to like, explain, it's a good metaphor. It's yeah, it's really is. good. He, yeah. it's really it is really well written. And that whole, that was the scene where it, where it got me. I was like, okay, this is a, this is a little bit. This isn't just uh, an an alien of the week. They're kind of making a statement about stuff here. And I actually really like that stuff. a lot. Yeah, I
0: mean, the fact that they dug down and actually tried to figure out how to explain linear time as a concept. Was pretty yeah. impressive. Like that's like okay, you're actually going. You're not just saying, "Oh, they're magic." And no, the value of humanity is love. No, no, there's yeah. there, there's like a, there's like there's like nuance here. So that if was I
3: cool. if I never saw another TV show that ended with the, the uh, conflict being resolved by love, it would be too soon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a it's a good fantasy baseball team name too, like Linear Time or something like that. I think is something <laughs> people could use. Um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up with our ratings, Zach. We do a thing where we rate these shows on a one to five scale, one being absolute garbage that you'd never see again. A two is an episode with some problems but had potential. A three is a early, thoroughly average episode of Star Trek. Four is an episode you'd show to a friend who'd never seen it before and five is an all-time classic. I'll go first. I'm going to give this one a three, I think. It balances out the the opening ep- hour is like a two for me and then it sort of uh, the later stuff sort of bounces out into a, uh, an average episode. Uh, if you mix the very good stuff, they like at the end to the stuff in the beginning. And I think it turned out strong. It's bit, much better than point It's much better than anything TOS sort of gave us to set this stage for characters. And I enjoy it. I don't think it's really rewatchable because it's too long. Um, I think they could have actually fit the episode down into an hour, a regular length and it would have had the same effect on me, but yeah, I think so too. Um, mm. that's it for me. A three out of five. So Clay, how about yourself?
3: Um do I have to give it a 5 cuz it's technically the best episode of DS9 I've ever seen? <laughs> That's probably
2: true. Everything is downhill from here. Uh
3: no, I, I would give it I would give it a 3 as well. I, I don't know if I wouldn't point to this as something that I that I would show to someone who wanted to get into Star. Oh, I mean, I guess it's what depends on what they're interested in, but like if I this wouldn't be one that I would I would throw out as uh as something to get somebody into the concept of Star Trek, I don't think. Um yeah, I had something else I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. So
0: go go ahead, Zach. Uh, oh yeah, I get. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd give it a three as well because I like copying other people. No, um, <laughs> no, I, I feel like it's 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 very it's very average. I I actually in one in some ways its solidity it's it's sort of a strength. in just remembering how clumsy and awful a lot of so much of the first season of Next Gen is. And um, I, the fact that there are a few moments—there are no real moments in this. It can be boring, but there are n- no real moments in this pilot where I'm like, "Oh God, no one involved has any idea what they're doing." Oh, this is gonna be that's, bad.
3: That's a really good point. I I, it, I don't think there's anything in it that's explicitly bad, but it does. It its worst sin for me is that it gets boring. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah they. Yeah. I think they hadn't figured out because this is a new, a new. This was a completely new concept for Trek. This idea of being in a single location. Um, and like trying to explore all these different, because like you said, yeah, the diplomacy episodes were never my favorite as a kid either. And the idea of building an entire series out of that, just, yeah. Um, and I think they, <laughs> they were, they were clearly in this one being very conservative. Like the, the it is very risky, that whole thing with this, the prophets. but it's also still, there's a certain next gen equality of, okay, we're going to have the magical space aliens come in and have the serious philosophical talk happen with the magical space aliens. And, and that works because this episode goes in deeper, goes in a bit deeper, and it commits to it. But I feel like one of the the problems with this is that they hadn't quite figured out what kind of show Deep Space Nine was going to be. But the fact that they have been making Next Gen for as long as they had it, they'd figured out how to make at least a watchable Star Trek show, even if one that's not particularly as well-paced or or, um, or immediately. Because, again, the, well, like, the big strength of Deep Space Nine, for me, was the serialization and the characters. I mean, the characters of the show, once it gets going, are really, really great. And, and you can't get that. It's really hard to sell that in a pilot, um, especially with a, with a, when you, you're basically just sort of introducing a new situation. You're introducing all these different races, this conflict, to, even though people who have presumably, maybe they've watched the Next Gen episode, maybe they haven't. But you have to introduce all these different concepts. You have to introduce the prophets, the the emissary, all this stuff. And the history of Cisco. So basically, there's not really a whole lot of time, even if it is two hours, like an hour and a half. They, they, they. It's the lived-in feeling you get with spending time with these people is one is where the show shines, and that's not really something you can do in a pilot. So yeah, I would. Oops, sorry.
2: No, well, something that also to, uh, kind of like as you're piling onto your list of things that you do, uh, one of the things that I do is every time Odo's on the scene, I'm like, my god, his makeup fucking sucks. Oh, this alien, it's early so in the- <laughs> bad.
0: He looks like he's dying. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so bad. And like, oh god, Kira's first haircut. I was like literally just cringing. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's. I, I'm surprised I didn't mention that in in my in the review because his makeup is just not good.
3: It's it's a very odd choice. It's like it's like they said, make the makeup look like he's starting to melt. But he's still gut formed in his face
2: and he's old yeah he, he just yeah. Yeah, he looks like a very
3: very old man. He reminded me McConnell
2: me of uh, Admiral Jameson from that first season of TNG episode. Anyway, yeah. uh, guys, thank you very much for coming on Zach. Clay. I will
3: say I, I, w- I would like to say I, I think I would make an official statement that my favorite t- my favorite Star Trek uniform is the DS9 color shoulders one. I think it's uh, that's a definite for me now.
2: Yeah, this uh, this uh, they start off wearing your favorite outfits. Uh, they'll change them eventually, but you you like these ones from the movies and everything like that. So
3: I do. I I like the color color shoulders, black body. It feels very uh, very simple, very graphic, and I think it works really well.
2: Yeah, yeah. You guys have uh, anything you want to mention, Clay? How was Comic Con?
3: uh it was great it was the best show i'd ever done actually so thank you for everybody who came out if you're listening and uh hopefully i'll see you at the next one
2: nice absolutely yeah we uh we missed plugging that uh zach you're up to anything anything you want to mention for people to check out
0: oh uh, i'm still writing for the uh av club I review right now i'm reviewing rick and morty on uh, preacher and i will presumably i've been asked and they haven't told me not to so i'll presumably be reviewing uh the new star trek when it premieres in september so that's something to look forward to
2: Excellent, excellent. Yeah, discovery would be exciting. Clay,
3: you watch Preacher, don't you? I do. Yeah. I like Preacher a lot. Yeah. Um I uh I, I'm not as hardcore a fan of the book as a lot of people are, so I I'm not really a purist and I think I think what they're doing with it has been really, really cool.
2: Guys, thank you very much. I'm not going to waste time on the uh, Deep Space Nine episodes mentioning all the links and everything. You know how to do it. We're not
3: going to do another hour on Preacher well, since we're all here. <laughs> you were born in the
2: internet age. You know how to click a link. The information to connect with us is in the podcast blurb and it's on the YouTube uh, video description. Only thing I want to plug is Patreon. If you guys go to the introduction video for Deep Space Nine, I laid out my five-minute spiel about why I should support the show on Patreon. We greatly appreciate it. It is very, very helpful. And one of the new rewards is that the uh, the top tier, get a shout out at the end, The are the basic the producers of the show we got tax owl bear kyle b joint mango <laughs> michael s doug v and Tarek l guys thank you very much i appreciate it very very much you do make the show happen zach thank you for coming on thank you for having me on clay thank you for coming on buddy
3: yeah thanks for having me i'm looking forward to uh uh to seeing how my opinion shifts on the show not that i not that i didn't like it but it's going to be an interesting watch for me i think no
2: i i appreciate your take on it because you your take of this episode kind of reminded me how i felt about the show when it came out which is interesting maybe it's just a tougher show to sort of it's tough to break out of the tng mold and as you were saying like get your head straight for the new series yeah. i think
3: it's kind of i think it's kind of a tough sell to be honest with you uh coming out of the gate with this episode but uh you know I, I it sounds like they they get they wrap their uh wrap their heads around it and figure it out
2: they do guys thank you very much for listening i'll see you next time